Redemption shoots, what's up? Doing my best, all right? I'm trying, man. See, here's the problem this morning. I'm a little amped up because I tried a new pre-workout drink, and whoa, there's like 5,000 grams of caffeine in there. So just lively inside this little body of mine. So anyway, hey, good to be with you this morning. Can I tell you, you guys are a rad church. I love Redemption Church. I love being a part of what we're doing here. I love being a part of what God is doing here. And God's doing some really great stuff. And so with that, I'm going to remind you that uh, if you've not downloaded it yet, uh, our church does have an app. And in that app, there's all sorts of information. So if you go to whatever your app store is, you type in Redemption Church Duval, bam, you can find it, download it. You can find news there archives of what we have taught. Our podcast is on there. Uh, News of just everything that's happening around the church is all in there. But also in this is a tile that is our current kind of like fundraising campaign. It's the $7,050 campaign to run between now and October 1st. And so if you tap onto that tile, it actually gives you an update of where the the current standings are, as well as it gives you an option to be able to give to that if you want to. Currently, we're just a little north of $120,000 after about two weeks, we got five weeks left to go, which is really, really exciting. That's a great number so far. And as we've shared, there's a family that's come forward and said, hey, we're going to go ahead and guarantee the difference, whatever maybe is a shortfall of that. We'll make sure that happens so that the leadership can start making decisions and doing things. And so we've started doing that. So as your update for this Sunday, uh, we had a meeting with uh, the Assemblies of God financial arm that's going to be lending to us as a church. We're not an Assemblies of God church, but they're showing us some really unique mercy in being a part of that. And so they estimate that that will all fund in about two weeks, right? So that's really great. Uh, Our builders all involved in that. And so I think this week I will be signing some of the paperwork with the builder so we can start moving that stuff forward. And the one thing I, I'm asking all of you to be praying about and be aware of is the one thing that we're, we're just getting a little slowed down on is just getting our site development permit through the city. There's a couple other things that came back that we need to address. And so we're hoping that can all be expedited as rapidly as possible. We can answer those things, get it back, get approved, get that particular document so that hopefully just in the next few weeks, we'll see fences go up, we'll see land start getting cleared, everything else. And so exciting times all the way around for us as a church. I can't help but think like 12 years ago when we started, this October will be our 12th anniversary. Uh, This did not seem possible. Not ever. And by God's grace, it is something that we're right on the doorstep of. So pretty exciting stuff all the way around. Good things are happening for us as a church, which then I'll be perfectly candid, makes the topic of the day weird because while there's all kinds of good happening, today's topic is grief, you know? So it's like, oh, I get to to say all this great stuff's happening, and now we're going to talk about a topic that at times feels like it takes the wind out of the sails. And yet I think this is really important for us as human beings because there is this truth that no matter how good things can be going in life, at one point you can out of nowhere enter into a season where grief just hits you. And yet in this context of grief, here's what's true. The Bible, when you read through it, is a book that oftentimes acknowledges and verifies that the human condition is one where we are almost incessantly integrated into grief, and grief washes up into the shore of our lives. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 15, it says, A glad heart makes a happy face, and we get that. That makes sense. We smile when our hearts are happy. It says, But a broken heart, a broken heart, that crushes the spirit. 
And when we read that or we hear that, it's not like we just see that and we intellectually know, like, yeah, that's true. There's something about that that we go, no, I, I felt that truth before. I felt that weight. I felt that heartbreak. I felt that anguish. In fact, what I know is that there's going to be some of us here this morning that that's exactly the space you're in. You're in a space of grief, of weariness, of sadness. There's things happening in your world. There's people that are being affected in a negative way. Maybe you've just lost a loved one, whatever it is. And for you, it's not just, oh, here's a topic to work through. This is something that you're living in. I get that. And I hope today can be a bit of a blessing to your soul. And so I want to go ahead and give us all some space to just reflect, to pray quietly to ourselves. And then I'll go ahead and pray. And we'll enter into what God has for us on this very delicate, very tender topic that impacts us all. So let's just take a moment to pray. And then I'll go ahead and pray and we'll get right underway. Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we do so as a people who can take comfort in the fact that you understand grief. It says that you were a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and even in that, we see that there were times in your life that you experienced deep, almost debilitating grief. And that brings us comfort, because now we know we can come to you and you understand us, you understand our plight, you understand our hurt our worry, whatever it might be, and you want us to find grace from you in the midst of that. And so I pray for those who maybe are just really battling with this today, that you will create a little space here of rest. And for those of us who maybe aren't dealing with this today, but very possibly might deal with it tomorrow or in a week or in a month, I pray that you will give us some reminders and some things that we can uh, integrate into our life so that we navigate those things well. We know that we cannot be completely insulated. We know that this is a, a lifelong journey of battling with our sorrows. But we look to you to be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our challenges and afflictions. And so Jesus, we love you. We ask for your wisdom and strength this day. In your good and perfect name, amen. So in diving into this, every once in a while in this series, I've tried to stop and back up for a minute to let you know exactly what my objectives are and are not in this series. And today, I want to really reinforce this because um, in dealing with grief, I, I don't want us to think that what my mission is, is I'm going to come and I'm going to give you five principles on how to overcome grief in six weeks. Right? Because it doesn't work that way. It doesn't seem that we can really create this formulaic model for dealing with the woes that we experience in life because over 51 years of life, I've dealt with different layers of grief, different levels of heartbreak, and I've never found if I just do these five things, it all just resets and is fine. In fact, if anything, I think the way we should approach this topic is a little bit like surfing. All right, so picture you're way out from shore. You're maybe 100, 200 yards out, and you're trying to get your way back to shore. And what dealing with grief is like is like surfing the sorrows, 
right? So you're paddling hard, you get a swell, it turns into a wave, and then it crashes. But for a while, you're standing, and then you fall, and you got to paddle hard again, you got to find a swell, you got to ride it for a while, and then you crash. So you stand, you fall, you paddle, you crash, you stand, you fall, but you're working toward the beach, but it can be exhausting. It can feel like you, you were doing really great for a while, but now the, the undertow drags you back out a little bit. See, I think that's a more honest assessment of what it is that we experience. And so, like I said, today is not do these five things and you'll be fine when it comes to grief. Rather, what I'm hoping to do is to kind of just throw out a number of thoughts of tips, of insights, of permissions, which is going to be really important, I think, today to say part of this is just permissions to leverage tools and tips. All of that is in there because, again, I think it's this organic reality, how we all have to grapple with and surf our way to shore when it comes to dealing with grief. Now, to kind of nail this down a little bit or get a working definition of what I mean by this, I want to look at the umbrella of everything that comes under this word because when you hear it, you might think, oh, Matt's talking about bereavement today. He's talking about the grief that comes with the passing of a loved one. Well, that's a form of, and that's one area of. Uh, but this word is going to be much broader for us today. And so if you're taking notes in our app today, it's going to start with the first thing there, which is getting a grasp on our grief. In other words, grief is a catch-all word. And I think that inside of that, there is a descending order of magnitude as the words we use to describe this emotion or this pressure that we feel. And so we have a number of D words kind of before us today. And it starts with the most basic form, right? The most basic form is that idea of being disappointed in life. Disappointment is just those things that happen when, you know, you can't go on the trip you wanted or you weren't able to get the book that you ordered or, you know, there was just some small scope thing that for you, you're like, man, that's a bummer, but it lasts a minute, maybe lasts an hour. It's not heavy duty, but it's there. But that's a level of grief in life. You have other times where you're down, right? I tell my wife sometimes, I'm like, you know, I'm just having a blue day. Right, where I'm just like, man, I woke up, for whatever reason, it just was out of sorts, and I just felt kind of just down. But see, those just usually last for a while, maybe a day, two days, whatever else, and you can navigate that. In fact, there's times even where things will happen, and it will instantly kind of ruin my day, but I tell myself now that I'm 51, this will pass tomorrow, I'll be fine. That's what it means to be down. But as you go deeper, it gets a little heavier, so you might get discouraged, where your courage begins to wane. Discouragement is when your kids do something that really is just breaking your heart at the time. Or you have a boss or a coworker that does something that really just disrupts your world. And discouragement can last for longer than a day or two days. It might last a week. It might even last a month. But you can navigate it. Where things get tricky is when we enter into the space of depressed. And depressed is interesting because it starts to kind of demarcate the list a little bit because there are times when we're depressed and yet we have the wherewithal within ourselves to kind of push through the depression. But there's other times where the depression grabs hold so tightly you don't have the capacity by your own strength to navigate that depression by yourself, right? So that's where things begin to shift. And then from there, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It reminds me like diving deep into the ocean. The further down you go, the greater the pressure and the more debilitating it is. Until you get to the bottom and there it's the absence of all hope. Despairing means hope is gone, right? Earlier, this idea of despondent means you're starting to lose hope. 
And then between those is dejected. That's where your soul feels heavy. But eventually you just go, I have no hope. This is why we have like high suicide rates, high deep depression rates in our culture, because people pass through these layers and they end up in those spaces. And so you know the, the layers and the depths of how this can occur in life. And there's kind of a red zone in this list to me, right? Like, there is some depression, as I shared, where you go, I can navigate it. But then there's some depression where you go, I don't know what to do with it. I, I can't find my way out of it. And then once you're in that space, you just start to sink further to the bottom. Here's what I want to say about that. That's natural. That's understandable. You're not broken if you feel that way. You're not some kind of oddball if you've been in that space. And there's nothing wrong if you acknowledge that's where I'm at and I need help. I need some kind of intervention. I need some kind of person. I need some kind of resource or some kind of aid because here's the deal. When grief hits, grief hurts. When grief hits you, it hurts you. It will knock you to the floor and leave you there in your misery. Because that's how this whole system works in the human condition. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not a five-point formula to get out of it. No, you get hit by it, and then you need help to get out of it. Right? We all will need help at times to get out of this. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the, the different avenues that I believe God has established in his grace toward us to begin to navigate some of this. And again, as I give you these ideas, don't see them as a series of steps. I'm not advocating these as steps. I'm saying, here's different resources. You might find that these two work, these three don't, that one does, that one doesn't. You know, everybody's kind of different because their grief levels are different in life. But I want us to simply acknowledge that God has given us some tools in a variety of ways. And so in your notes, it's number two. It's acknowledging the gifts of common grace. The gifts of common grace to navigate grief. Now, sidebar for a minute over here. We're going to have a little theology lesson. When I say common grace, this is a theological idea, right? So when we study all of the topics of theology, the idea of common grace is that God cares for his creation. And in his good mercy and grace to us, he creates this template of ways that he shows that mercy to bring human flourishing. So common grace is God saying, I don't care if you believe or disbelieve. You're this religion, that religion, no religion. There's certain things that God does to sustain life in this world and bring flourishing. So he brings the rain, he gives sun, he brings crops, he creates an environment that is anticipated and we can understand how it works and from that we can harness the world around us. All of that is common grace. And inside common grace, there's other things that God gives to us, such as knowledge, enlightenment, discovery, innovation, technology. We use the God-given gifts and the image that is from him in us to do things, build things, create things, you know, discover things. That's common grace. And in his common grace, I am an advocate for, and I'm just letting you know up front where I'm coming from in this, I am an advocate for the idea that in common grace is God's care for us when it comes to medicine and mental health. And I say that because sometimes in the Christian community, there's something taboo, weirdly, about discussing mental health or giving credibility to those who have skill sets in the realm of mental health. And I want to just try to remove that taboo a little bit. 
because I think it's strange when we get into some of these things, especially things like anxiety and depression and things of that nature, that there's this approach that says, oh, well, if you're struggling with that, that's a faith problem. Or if you're struggling with that, that must be because you've done something wrong and, and from that you're not experiencing God's presence and therefore you're depressed. You're discouraged. You're dejected. Right? I, I know of really amazing godly Christians that struggle with suicidal ideation where they just go, I would rather punch out. They love Jesus. They're obedient. They do the right thing. They go to church, read their Bible. They're very tender-hearted, and they struggle. I'm not looking at those people saying, well, that's on you, man. Right? No, I I think we have to be a little bit more opened up to the fact that we are deep, deep wells. Solomon says that, right? The heart is a deep well. Who can understand it? Therefore, in this, God has given certain gifts. Now, to be fair, I want to say for the record that there are certainly going to be times. I know in my own life, I've done dumb things, made poor decisions that were wrong, and then from that, I've been discouraged or depressed because of my decisions. That's true. So there are those times. So I don't want to negate that reality, but at the same time, I want to say that many times in life, uh, I find that I struggle with these kinds of things, not because I've done something wrong, just I'm just struggling. It's just there. My brain just works in a certain way. It deals with topics in a certain context, and then I battle along. And it's in that I believe that God has given unique kind of common grace. See, I say all that because... uh, I, I do get concerned that sometimes we will think that all of these things are sort of the derivative of, of sin. And they're not always. And the proof I have of that is that there's one person that's walked this planet that was never sinful. But they struggled with discouragement and grief and just an overwhelmed spirit. Matthew chapter 26, we see that there is Jesus. He's in the garden. He's praying. It's just before his death. And it says he became anguished and distressed. It says he was crushed with grief to the point of death. And what did he need? He needed God in prayer and he needed his friends around him. This blows my mind. God becomes a human being and yet it isn't just sail through life. Jesus doesn't just sail through life going, nothing affects me, sunshiny day every day. No, there was grief, sorrow, weightiness and he needed resources around him in that particular moment of need. We see something similar with Paul, right? Paul is a bold guy, courageous guy, wrote a good chunk of our New Testament. But he talks about a time when they were under great pressure, far beyond their ability to endure, so that they despaired of life itself. See, I read these things, and I actually have some sense of, like, courage and and encouragement because I go, here's a person profoundly godly and nostrils deep in their grief just a little bit further down and they're underwater right so so i appreciate that and so to grieve is to be human and from that i believe god shows things and gives things to us in his common grace to help us navigate our grief the first thing i believe he gives is the grace of specialists specialists Did you know God digs specialists? Go back and read it in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. God's like, I want really skilled craftspersons to build my tabernacle. And I want really skilled musicians to be those engaged in worship. I want 200 people really skilled in discerning the times to be guides and visionaries for the people and their political climate. So God's all about specialists. 
And in his common grace, I believe he gives us specialists in the field of mental health and depression and anxiety and grief and things of that nature. So for some of us, it means, hey, we need a counselor. Counselors are good. They can sit you down and they can help you work through parts of yourself that you may not fully understand. Or maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's a little step deeper. Somebody with a little bit more specialized skill set. Or maybe it's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Which again, in some of my history, it was like, whoa, if you go to those, now you're dancing with the devil almost. But I see these as common grace. Even their names, psychologist, psychiatrist, right? It's a learner of the soul or a healer of the soul. Like, that's a beautiful concept, right? To acknowledge that there are people that can help us in these ways. And, and I think this is so valuable because, again, I've known people in my life that love Jesus, really faithful, upbeat personalities, life was good, everything else, and then out of nowhere, something happens that they may not even be able to articulate. They don't even know where the turning point was, and then suddenly they find themselves just wrapped inside themselves. They're kind of twisted within their person, and it's just like there's this constant, perpetual storm in their life, and they don't know what to do. And the only way through that was sitting down with somebody that had the skills had the knowledge to say, all right, I'm going to help you and coach you out of this. We're going to work our way back to the shore. It's going to be paddling, falling, standing, paddling again, but we're going to get you there. See, that's the beauty of the specialist. I think another common grace that God gives is the grace of physicians. Physicians. Now, psychologists and psychiatrists, they are physicians, but, but here I'm talking about more the, the standard medical fare. And I'm going to tell you something that now for much of my adult life has really bothered me, that I wrestle with a lot, and I have no conclusions on or solutions for. It's just a reality, and that is this. We are the sum of our chemical parts. Isn't that weird? We're the sum of our chemical parts. In other words, you have a certain kind of chemistry, and if you alter that chemistry, you become a different person, right? And, and medicine can help with that. So here's an example of this. I, I had a friend of mine that driven, focused, uh, had a lot of self-confidence, did a great job in everything that they did, and then out of nowhere, they started getting this like kind of brain fog, and they were discouraged, and they felt kind of like this apathy, and they felt like they weren't doing their job well, and so they got really discouraged and really insecure and everything else, and, and their thinking was, it's just me. I, I've just got to figure out me. I've just got to fix me. I, I'm just in a funk. I don't know why I'm in a funk. I've got to figure this out and everything else. And then finally they decide they, they're going to go to the doctor and they do some labs and the doctor's like, oh, you have a major iron deficiency. And that's affecting your disposition. And the reason you have an iron deficiency is because you have basically a huge tumor growing inside your abdomen that's taking all of your blood supply and leaching all of the iron out of that and leaving you with nothing. And so this person was massively affected by this medical problem. Their whole personality had shifted, right? From relatively stable to really, really insecure and depressed. I'll give you another one that's even crazier. It was a friend of mine named Rocky back in Spokane. Rocky was a happy guy. He was one of our elders, just always smiley, healthy guy in his 50s. Just you loved being around Rocky. And then out of nowhere, within days, he went into this deep depression, comes to our elders, and he's like, I'm really struggling with suicide. I'm just, I want to punch out. I'm done. I don't know why I'm so, I just want to go be with Jesus. I can't do another day of this. I'm like, this is super bizarre. How did Rocky go from chipper to just crushed? And so, you know, he's getting ready to set up a doctor's appointment and everything else. And one morning he gets up and he's kind of sloughing his way toward the restroom and his wife looks over and she's like, Rocky, 
come here, Rocky. Well, come here for a second. And he comes over, and what it was is his wife was going through menopause and was using estrogen patches. And it fell off in their bed a couple of days prior, and it stuck underneath the high hip of Rocky's leg. And he had no idea that he was getting, like, an infusion of estrogen, right? And so you take a godly man, chipper, positive. You're like, double-check your bed, right? That's the story here. If your wife takes estrogen patches, double-check your bed, right? And do a full body search, you know? But amazing transformation from faith-filled, happy, strong, to I want to die. So my point is this, right? In this realm, if you're like, man, I've suddenly shifted gears into something discouraging that wasn't true to me. Man, go get an evaluation. Go get your blood drawn. Go have some labs done. Whatever it is, just make sure that there isn't something going on in your biology, your chemistry, that's changing your person. Because again, God has given physicians. God is the great physician. And I think in his common grace, he gives physicians to us for our good. The third common grace that I believe he gives is the grace of medications and techniques. Medications and techniques. And this is the one that I wanted to just, again, be more in the realm of permission giving. And here's why I do this. The church that I trained in um, and, and first pastored in, they had a very strong stance against this. Here's how strong the stance was. If they found out you were on antidepressants, if you were using anti-anxiety medications, that was grounds for church discipline. So they would actually excommunicate you. And so lots of people did this, and then they kept it hidden, and then they felt they were in sin for doing it. And I'm like, that's madness. Because the attitude was, you should be able to pray and obey the grief away. That was the whole attitude. Like, that's all you need. Now, I'm pro-obey. I'm pro-pray. I believe you want that in the context of seasons when you're discouraged or depressed or whatever. Don't jettison those things. You want those things, but also at the same time, you may need a little bit more aid. I call these soul slings. You might need it for a season. You might need it for a lifetime. I don't know. I don't know you. I'm not your physician or your specialist. But I know the Bible even acknowledges this kind of concept of in the moment of discouragement, maybe there needs to be a medicative aid in the process. Now, I'm going to warn you. I didn't write this. I'm just reading this, okay? But I'm reading this from the book of Proverbs. It says, Let beer be for those who are perishing, and wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. I didn't write it, all right? For the record, if anybody's like, oh, now Matt's, no, I didn't write it. The Spirit wrote it through these dudes. I'm reading it. That's all I'm doing. And with this, I want to be clear, all right? So I, I don't want anybody to go like, oh, so what Matt's saying is I'm discouraged. I should get my Morello for misery, you know? My cab for calamity. I'm not Pino for just being depressed. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the Bible acknowledged that when people are in anguish, like, like the wisest persons of the Old Testament said, there may be a time that they need to be kind of have a, a, a medicative aid in the process. And the good news about this is that, you know what, we have better options now than, hey, here's a bottle of wine, buzz your way out of your depression. And we have better tools, right? And so those tools are okay. I don't think we should try to self-medicate our problems. That's actually what creates more problems. But if somebody else that's more objective says, hey, this is going to be an aid for you, that's an aid for you. So that can be helpful. Another thing that can be helpful are things like techniques. 
like cognitive behavioral therapy where you're actually learning the tools to say, all right, here's what's real, here's what's not. I want to slow the, 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 everything down. I want to work through what's really making me sad or grieved or whatever and, and work through that in, a, in an intelligent and thoughtful way. Like that's really positive. Or maybe it's programs. I don't know if you realize this, but just over in Edmonds, one of the best programs in the United States is over there for dealing with some of these things. It's called the Center, A Place for Hope. And, and I've known many people, some from our church, that have gone there for depression, anxiety, all sorts of different things. It's like this 30-day program where they give you like a, like a counselor and a therapist and a psychologist and a nutritionist and you meet in groups and you have writing therapy and all these amazing things. And I've known people that are, again, incredibly godly people. I've known pastors and pastors' wives that have gone there struggling with incredible, debilitating depression for much of their lives. And they come after 30 days and they're like, I had no idea what all I was dealing with internally. And I had no idea the tools that were afforded to me if I just simply leaned into those to help me in the process. Now, they don't all walk out of there going, never going to be sad again. But they suddenly have things they didn't know they had at their disposal. That is a common grace of God. Now, maybe you don't need 30 days at the center. Maybe it's just a book or a podcast, but just things that you begin to find tools to help you grind through the grief because sometimes grief is a grind. Now, maybe you don't need things so dramatic. Maybe it's the fourth thing. It's the grace of a support system. You just need a friend, a pastor, a family member, some kind of social network that helps you just talk, just listen. Paul says, share one another's burdens and in this way you obey the law of Christ. I know there's times in my life where I just need to sit down with somebody and just say, I'm just really discouraged. And here's what it is. And I don't need them to give me a solution or an answer. Maybe they just pray with me. Maybe they just cry with me, whatever it is. But just find that space. Create that, that, that little network that you find safe to do that with because it is therapy for the soul. Fifth, there is the grace of outlets and investments. Outlets and investments. You know what can help when you're down? Endorphins, right? God's upper. That's what that is. And there are all sorts of ways you can do that. I mean, go to the gym, take a walk, run, play games, hike, whatever it is. Just things that are outlets for you to, to find some sense of relief. Knit, have some kind of work with your hands, hobby, any number of things. Those are healthy things. But then the other thing I said is invest. One of the most powerful ways to deal with our own discouragement or depression is to go and serve others who have it worse than us. Really, like when you do, you suddenly realize like, yeah, I'm bumming, but boy, they're bumming more. Uh, we have like Bridge Receiving, one of the ministries that we help with, which is the foster care system. Go hang out with foster kids for a day. You'll realize like, man, my life is rough, but their life is rougher, right? Or, or, or how about this? You know how many elderly just sit in homes and nobody visits them? Like just go for a day and serve at, at a retirement facility and, and you'll be like, wow, yeah, my life's hard, but how miserable would that be? And there's something about that when we invest in others, it just kind of changes the focus a little bit. I'm not saying it's going to alleviate it and it's all going to go away, but it's helpful. Sixth is the grace of the little things. See, the little things, it's, it's critical because I find in my own life, sometimes I can get discouraged because of what isn't instead of focusing on what actually is. In other words, what I actually have, what I can actually enjoy. Ecclesiastes is a book where that guy is discouraged about life. 
That's why he says life is meaningless. Life is miserable. Life is unfair. Everybody's out to get everybody else. It's a rotten environment. That's kind of his attitude. But five times in Ecclesiastes, he centers us in this little things concept. And what's the little things he talks about? It's just like doing the little stuff, like hanging out with friends and eating good food and drinking good wine. He says, go ahead. Eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life. (laughs) Right? That God's given you under the sun. Right? So, but, but you get the idea of what he's getting at. Yes, life is going to be pain. This is why my favorite philosophers are more those philosophers. Life is pain. But enjoy the little things to alleviate some of that pain. I had like about eight weeks ago a really rotten day. Like I really just, just like I was in the lower half of the red quadrant for that day. And I was just super discouraged and super bummed and everything else. You know what really alleviates some of that? Go play with your grandkid. A two-year-old laughing just makes you go, yeah, I needed that. You know, or just drive with all the windows down, you know. Blare your music. It's the little things that can bring relief. And then in this, of course, remember the grace of God's care. Paul writes to a church that was grieving. They were going through all kinds of internal and external calamity. And from this, he says, We pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and the patience you need. And then he says, From that, may you be filled with joy. What I love about this is it sets up a little bit of how we have to walk through a pattern Right? Like, in other words, you're struggling with grief, and then from that, you have to go through endurance, and endurance builds patience, but with patience, eventually you can move into joy. And so you're relying on God to take you through that, that process and that journey. In other words, again, there isn't going to be this one thing you do that fixes everything, and you go from grieving to giddy. No, you're, you're just finding resources that you can recruit for life. As you pass through moving toward the shore and surfing back to a layer or a level of stability. And you're going to need all of that if you consider the third thing in your notes, which is learning to to traverse the stages of grief. I'm sure most of us have heard about the five stages of grief. Can I, I'm going to walk through those really quick, but I want to give you a sense of this. The five stages of grief are not stages. The five stages of grief are not, you just walk from one to two to three to four to five, and then you're home free, collect $200, you know, like, it doesn't work that way. The stages of grief are a little bit different. In fact, if anything, here's what I'm going to acknowledge it to be. Uh, This is you. This is you. You're a pinball, right? And as a pinball, you enter into the pinball machine, and with that, the five bumpers of grief, you've ever played pinball, here's how it works. Goes in, hits denial, boom, goes up to anger, boom, goes back to denial, boom, goes over to bargaining, boom, goes back to denial, boom, goes over to depression, boom, back to anger, boom, back to denial, boom, back to accepting, and you're like, I'm finally home free. No, bounces back up to anger again, boom. That's the five stages of grief. So when I walk through these, don't think, oh, okay, cool. I I, I went from denial to anger, and now I'm going to go to bargaining. That's how it works. No, that's not how it works. Not always. Sometimes you're in that pinball machine and you bounce around for a while. You just keep bouncing off the bumpers. It takes some time. It takes some patience. It takes some focus. And so with this, we want to understand, hey, I'm accepting a process. I'm moving through a process. And I want to learn to respond to the process as wisely as I can. 
And so what is the first stage in the process? Well, the first stage is denial. And uh, I, I was able to get this off of the University of Washington psychology website. I thought it was helpful because, again, you know, we hear about these five stages, but we probably don't fully understand what they're meaning to communicate. And so in this area of denial, it can look like things like avoidance, procrastination. So you have a problem, you just don't want to mess with it, don't want to touch it, you want to forget all about it. You're easily distracted because of it. You engage in mindless behaviors just to mitigate it. Try to keep busy at all the time. And you keep saying things like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. Right? That's what we do. But it feels like shock or numbness, confusion, or shutting down. Right? That's what it's like. And you may go, well, it's, I, I only feel that way because maybe I'm weak and maybe others are strong. No. Can I tell you, David was a warrior. This guy saw tremendous grief and he was tough. He was hardened. And yet he also struggled with this. He says, fear and trembling overwhelm me. I cannot stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, and then I would fly away. He just wanted to escape it. That's denial. I'd rather just sleep it off, deny it off, just kind of avoid it, drink it out of my existence, whatever it might be. That's the danger. And here's the thing. You might feel like that. That's understandable to feel like that, but don't think that, hey, if I just camp in denial, that will fix it. Because it won't fix it. It won't go away oftentimes. There has to be more of the process. The next stage is you go from denial to anger. And anger is pessimism and cynicism and sarcasm. Wouldn't know that one. That's not my problem. Um, irritability, being passive-aggressive or just aggressive. Maybe you get into arguments or you have increased alcohol or drug use because you're in that space. That's what it can look like, but it feels like frustration, impatience, resentment, embarrassment, rage, and feeling out of control. But see, when I read that, I go, man, I can think about people in the Bible that went through that. In fact, there was one dude in the Old Testament, he's watching his entire civilization crumble. His name was Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on where you are from the world. And he says this, and he takes it out on God. He's angry about what's going on. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The laws become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that even justice has become perverted. You're like, wow, that's 2022. No, that's way back when. Same problems all the time. Right? But... But you understand the anger. And when you're grieving and you go from denial to anger, it's expected. It's okay that you're angry. Even Paul says in, in Ephesians, he says, hey, be angry. Just don't let the sun settle on that. Don't make that your camping spot. You don't want to stay in anger forever. Well, the next thing we'll get bounced into is bargaining. And bargaining is where you start saying, um, I wish I could go back and do it different than I did it. Oh, if I could just travel in time, I would fix it. I would do it different. It's where you're overthinking or worrying. You're comparing yourself to others. You begin to predict the future, and you assume the worst. And so with that, you're like, God, if you do this, I promise I will always. God, if you do that, I promise I will never. Right? Those are all the bargaining things. But what bargaining feels like is guilt and shame and blame and fear, anxiety and insecurity. 
But you know, this is why, again, I appreciate what we see in Jesus, because not in the same way, but similar to, we see that he was kind of having a moment of like this bargaining with God. So he's there, he's praying, he's discouraged, he's distraught, he knows he's going to die, and what does he pray? He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. So in other words, from all eternity past, the Father and the Son said, hey, we're going to go, we're going to rescue the human race. You're going to go, you're going to live, you're going to die, you're going to rise, that's the plan. And now in the moment of where it's all coming together, Jesus is like, if there's a different way. Now, I don't understand, there's a mystery in there, I don't understand, but I appreciate the fact that there's a heart there that, you know what, when we feel like we're in a bargaining spirit, well, there's a little bit of that going on even with Jesus right there. And it gives me comfort to go like, hey, he understands why I might do that. The next layer is depression. Depression. Depression can look like sleep and appetite changes, reduced energy, reduced social interaction. You don't want to hang out with friends. You just want to be by yourself. You want to isolate. You might be uniquely emotional through tears and crying, reduced motivations in life. And again, more increased alcohol and drug use. But it feels like sadness, despair, helplessness, hopelessness, disappointment, and feeling overwhelmed. Right? That's all familiar to us. Because we see that there are godly people that go through the same kind of despair. Psalm 69. David says, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I cannot find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods, they overwhelm me. Or Psalm 130, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call to you for help. See, all of this, again, we know. And all of this, we will bounce in and out of. Right? We're going to have denial. We're going to have anger. We're going to have bargaining. We're going to have disappointment, depression, despair in the midst of that. But eventually, hopefully, we tag into acceptance. Acceptance is where you say, all right, I'm going to try to have some mindful behaviors now. Or I'm going to engage with what reality is. My favorite phrase is, uh, the facts are my friends. I don't have to like the facts, but I need to face the facts and let them be my friends. It's being present in the moment, able to be vulnerable and actually tolerate the emotions that you're feeling. It's to be assertive, non-defensive, honest in your communication, adapting, coping, or responding skillfully. It's where you say, all right, I have some courage again. I have some validation. I'm ready to get on my feet and try to take this on. All of that is what we have to go through. It's where you're using the tools of the common grace that we talked about in point two to say, all right, I'm going to find stability. I'm going to find a way through the maze and work my way to shore. Now, in this, you might hit acceptance and go, and then boom, you're back up to anger. And then you ricochet over to bargaining and then back down to acceptance again. So it's all a cyclical process at times, but that's okay again. It's okay because that's just the journey that we take. And it's all working toward relief. Uh, I, I love this idea in Psalm 55 where it shows it's just this process you keep working through. He says, I will call on God, the Lord, and he will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. From this, he says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you, right? So morning, noon, and light, night, over a course of a lifetime even on some of these things. But you're constantly remembering that God gives us the grace we need and God shows us the grace that we need for our grief. And so we want to cast it on him as we use the tools that he's given. And as you do this, I want you to remember the final point in our morning today remembering that God is grieving with you in your grief. 
I say that because I think there's times where we're kind of miserable and we go, God, do you care? Why don't you alleviate the things that are creating my grief? Why don't you step in and deal with it? Now, that's above my pay grade. I don't know why those things happen or why he does it in those ways or why he doesn't alleviate all the things that we feel. I don't fully understand it, but here's what I know. God's not passive in our pain. He is active and present. A great example of this is found in the Gospel of John. So Jesus has a really good friend named Lazarus. Lazarus dies, and and Jesus doesn't show up before he dies. And so everybody's like, ah, you didn't show up in time. If you would have been here sooner, he wouldn't have died, everything else. And so he shows up to a family grieving. And it starts in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled, not at them, but at death. It's not the way it was meant to be. This just reminds him of why he's coming to the world. And so he says, where have you put him? And that's Lazarus. And so they told him, they said, Lord, come and see. And then weirdly it says, then Jesus wept. And you should find this strange because if you know the story, you know that in about five minutes he raises him from the dead. Are you really going to weep just before you raise somebody from the dead? Like, is that the prerogative here? Like, you know the story. You know what you're going to do next. See, I I really believe the reason Jesus weeps is because he's weeping with those who are weeping. He is brokenhearted for those who are brokenhearted. He grieves with the grieving. I think that's evidence of God's heart. The reason this is true is because of Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. See, he sees our pain, he sees our grief, and he heals our wounds. And he does this, I believe, so that when we've gone through that process, we as people are available to other people who are going through that process. Like, I don't understand all the reasons to go through grief, but one of the reasons is so that we can grieve with those who are grieving and get it because we know how it feels. In fact, remember earlier when I said that Paul wrote, and he says, man, we're despairing to the point of death. Like, we don't even want to survive at this point. It's so bad. Well, the guy that said that, that, he, he also said this. He said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of our merciful Father, and the source of all comfort, He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, we will be able to give the same comfort God gives to us. In other words, I know many of us have gone through hard things. And you know what? We're now really well equipped to help other people going through hard things. So grief isn't easy. Grief isn't fun. Grief is painful. But God has given us gifts of grace to deal with our grief And he's given us the grace of his presence to work through our grief so that when we've come out the other side, we can be a resource of grace to others going through their grief. See, all of that is what it looks like for us to dig out of our grief. Now right now, if I could just ask all of you to just take a moment to bow your heads and and, and, and in that space, just, just kind of block out the world for a minute. Because again, I always know there's different people in the room and some, you you follow Jesus and you're dealing with grief and this is your moment to say, Jesus, what are the tools you want me to use? What are the graces that I maybe am not tapping into, I need to tap into? Ask him to speak to your your soul and your heart on that today. Right? That's the place you want to be. Is like, Jesus, what do you want me to do next with this or how do you want me to navigate? 
And then maybe there's some of you in the room where you're not following Jesus, and you go, man, I have got a ton of grief, and I don't even know where to put all that grief. And Jesus is like, man, cast all your burdens on me because I care for you. It says that in the Bible. And so with that, you want to cast your first greatest grief, which is, I'm not a follower of you, and I want to follow you. If that's you today, and you've never followed Jesus, and you want to follow him, that's a prayer away where you acknowledge, I have, I've gone my own way, done my own thing. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. Thank you for coming, living, dying, and rising to deal with my sin and give me a relationship with you. You pray that in your words, in your way, he hears you and brings you into the family. He brings you into the family and begins to help you in this journey of life and the challenges of grief and enjoying the grace of God. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love toward us. I thank you for the faithfulness you show us when we are so often faithless Guide us in our grief. Help us to be a resource to others in grace because you've done so much for us. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you in your good name. Amen. Real quick, if you were somebody that prayed that prayer this morning to begin to follow Jesus, whether online or here in the room, uh, we would love to know about it. There's a tile on our app that says, I've decided to follow Jesus, or there's a number that you can text, I have decided to follow Christ. You can just text that, and we want to reach out to you, say, welcome to the family, and give you some tips on how you can step forward next and do things and really just follow him in a powerful way. But, but thank you, everybody. Thank you for this journey that we're taking to figure out how we can dig out of the things that most challenge us.